Welcome to Conversations Live. For more than a decade, we've brought you the best in books, entertainment, celebrity interviews, and current events. When the movers and shakers of the world have something to say to you, they say it to us first. Here's your host, Cyrus Webb. Welcome back, everyone, to Conversations Live. I'm your host, Cyrus Webb. Glad you all could join us once again. But for our radio audience here in Mississippi at WYAD 94.1 FM and WYADonline.com, we're glad that you all could be with us. Also, tuning in through online affiliates around the world, we're glad that you all could be with us as well. As you guys know, we're recognizing October for National Book Month. Our next guest is someone who's been able to use books not only to educate, but also to get us to thinking about things a little bit differently. We're excited to welcome Phil Allen, Jr. to our program. His newest book is called The Prophetic Link. The Camera and Black Moral Agency, from MLK to Darnella Frazier. We want to talk to Phil not only about the writing of this book, but also what it's been like for him to look at history, to look at the role of, of film. I know these days all of us know about what can be cam- captured on dash cam video, but also on our cell phones. We'll talk to him about what it was like for him to look at the different examples, but also the lessons, I think, for all of us as well. If you guys are just now finding out about Phil's new book, we'll let you know how to get your own copy of it. Phil, welcome to the program. Thank you, Cyrus. Thanks for having me. We're glad to do it. And again, congratulations on the book. I was really excited about uh, this book when our friends at Gilly Under Public Relations pitched it to me. And I don't think I've read a book quite like this before, Phil, where it really does show the examples of how things are looked at differently when they are captured on video. And even some great um, movie references you use in the book as well. We're going to get into that. I want to talk about uh, this journey for you, though, Phil. What has it been like for you to see the early response to the book? Oh, man, it's been great. It's been great. Um, it's got, a, it's got a, a tremendous response from those who've read it, um, who I've engaged with other interviews. Um, you know, I, I did not plan years ago to be an author, that this was not part of my plans. <laughs> so this this journey has been very encouraging for me. It, it's been very uh, empowering for me, and it's kind of um, solidified for me that I, I do have a voice in this in this realm um, of, of writing and, and and teaching and using it as a as a, a part of my platform. All right, and part of your platform, I noticed, Phil, when I was prepping for this segment, has to do with with race, with um, equality, or the lack thereof. Uh, but also, I think, encouraging dialogue, right? I mean, what was that like for you? What was that mantle like for you to take up? Yeah, it, it's, been, it's been challenging. Um, it, it's been both challenging and rewarding, I'll say that, because on, on the one hand, I'm, in my doctoral studies, my research, my, my passion, um, I'm immersed in the conversation around race, racism, white supremacy, um, anti-black racism, I'm immersed in that. So to read the statistics, the data, the, the, the accounts throughout history, uh, re- recalling my own personal experiences, my family's experiences, which I kind of document in my previous book, my first book, Open Wounds, and my documentary short film. So it's been, it's been a bit um, challenging in that sense. But as you talk about, as you said about the dialogue, I'm able, I'm seeing that it sparks conversation. It, it challenges some people and invites others to, to, to engage in dialogue that they've never had before. Um, so it's been, it's been both challenging and encouraging at the same time. And, and I, I, I cling to the, the encouragement. I cling to conversations like this, opportunities like this, because engaging in, in, in the, the, the subject matter can be so challenging. 
Well, let me just say this too, Phil, and you and I have, have not talked about this previously, but what I thought was interesting that I did not expect also in this book, well, a couple of things. I should have thought when I read the title, The Prophetic Lens, I should have thought that there would be a dialogue in some form or fashion about about the Bible, uh, about faith, um, some of the, the themes that are, are in the Bible, which we do find in the book, I did not expect to find out more about you. You mentioned your previous work, but in this book, you also take us through some of your own experiences. Did you, mm-hmm. did you plan on doing that when you first were writing The Prophetic Lens, or did it just seem almost like a natural connection to kind of talk about some of your own experiences as you were having this conversation about race, racism, and the way things are looked at through different lenses? Yeah, it, it was planned. It was. Um, I didn't know how much I would share because, again, in, the, in my first book, I that was the the, the the story was about my family and, and, and my experience, my dad, my grandmother, and my grandfather's murder in 1953, and I didn't want to repeat that. I didn't want it to be the same type of of, of uh, book, but I knew I couldn't separate myself my my experiences um, from this one either. There were times when I wished there were there were cameras. Um, around either someone having a camera or a surveillance camera somewhere to document some of my personal experiences. Um, but also I talk about in, in one chapter about the media and the image of seeing black men in uh, Charleston, South Carolina. I'm from Georgetown, South Carolina, but just north of Charleston. And when I was a kid, all we saw were images of black men on the news who were criminals who were committing crimes or alleged to have committed crimes. And when that is repeated and is shown night in, night out, and as a kid, I'm internalizing that. And so I, I was a bit afraid of black men, in, specifically in Charleston. I did not want to go to Charleston until I got to high school and I started playing sports and, and I started, you know, obviously um, in, in interacting with some of these guys, playing against them, even having some friends from Charleston, and then that, that dissipated. But growing up, that image, um, so I had to share that as well. So I, it, it was planned. Um, that's part of who I am, whether I'm preaching, whether I'm doing spoken word poetry, I'm usually bringing my story to be a part of the, the, the broader narrative. And there are some subtle things that you mentioned. Again, again, things I have never thought about. And I think a lot of us, even if you say this in the book, Phil, a lot of us do bring our own experiences to situations, right? And and in that case, you can understand then why some people cannot see the, the right or wrongness in what they're doing because it's just going along with what they have either believed or been perceived as being right or wrong. And you give the example in the book of the difference in how Superman is looked at uh, versus how the birth of a nation kind of looks at things. And you, you talk about that whole idea of we become more accepting of an idea of basically a white man saving the world, um, more mm-hmm. so than someone uh, of darker skin being seen as the, the hero. Talk to us about that, because I thought that was an interesting point in the book and, and how it impacted you as you talk about there. What was that like for you to kind of analyze? Yeah, you know, um, I, I, I started that section thinking about reflecting on um, the depiction of Jesus, um, who was supposed to be a, a Jewish man, a brown-skinned uh, man with coarse hair. Um, and, but, but we 
historically, we, we in this country, we've seen Jesus as pre- presented as white, as European. And then I started to reflect on how, how often is that imagery given to us. Um, we're conditioned to see white male, tall, muscular even. Um, we're conditioned to see that as the Savior, the, the Messiah figure. Even in our, our comic, comic book characters, cartoons, movies. I mean, we're bombarded with it. If we pause and we look around, we're bombarded with that. And then on, on the flip side, black or even indigenous and, and, and Latino, Muslim, what have you, brown-skinned people, darker-skinned people are depicted in a negative light. Now, my, my research, this is not a, an American, this is not unique to just America. We can trace this back to antiquity, um, the imagery of, of Ethiopian, Africans, um, in the, the, the writings of Aristotle and, and, and those, those Greek and Roman thinkers, as well as early church fathers, that imagery of black and white, white being good, benevolent, um, savior, pure, uh, righteous, and black or darker skin being associated with criminality, evil, bad. Um, and I think it, what, what ha- what's happening is we're being conditioned and we've accepted it for so long. Um, I do think now, though, there's a, a strong pushback. There's more um, consciousness about that, and, and people are understanding the, the effects that it's had on, on, on our society, on our culture. Yeah. You, you go on to say, Phil, in that chapter, Unfiltered Lies, I want to actually read this because I thought that was interesting. On page 79, for those who have the hardcover edition of the book, what are the implications on race and racial justice when the camera is in the hands of white Americans who hold to whiteness, white supremacy, knowingly or unknowingly, and white sovereignty? In these hands, the camera lens predictably captures perspectives that underscore racial biases and stereotypes that depict African Americans according to a white worldview. They also reinforce white body supremacy. The, for example, consider that most major films that are nominated for mainstream awards, white bodies are positioned as the lead characters, surrounded by token bodies of color. And I think when I got to that, I thought, you know what, that's what we see so much, which is why you see normally it is uh, black actors are normally given the, the supporting actor uh, award, mm-hmm. right, more so than the leading uh, actor award. And I thought this so I thought this was a very interesting conversation. So, uh, you mentioned the chorus uh, preaching, and I mentioned, too, the biblical references in the book. Talk to us about how people are responding to that, because normally what we hear, uh, that the things you don't talk about are religion and politics. So you kind of address all of that, including race, <laughs> racism and, and, and this whole idea of this book. What is that part, the the biblical component uh, of this uh, field? What has that been like for people to kind of think about? Well, uh the book is still new, still fresh, so I'm still um, kind of anticipating that response. Uh, it's been out for about just under a month. Um, but I can say that my, my, my posts, my, my, my other writings, um, if there, it depends on where people are on the spectrum. If they are more left-leaning, middle to left-leaning, um, they're receptive. They're open. Um, they're, they're often in agreement. If they are, when I, when I bring in the, 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 the theological aspect of it, when I bring in that biblical perspective, they, they see it, they get it, they make the connection. But if they're more right-leaning, further right-leaning, and they're very rigid 
in their understanding of the gospel, very legalistic, very literal in their understanding, there, there tends to be a lot of resistance. Um, I've been encouraged, though, um, there are more people that are in the middle. They may not do it publicly, but they will text or email um, or message me in some way uh, asking a question or wanting to talk more, wanting to dialogue more. So I've been having this conversation for probably close to 10 years and, and seeing that dynamic where those in the church that are middle to left leaning are receptive and in agreement. They, they get it. They see the connection. Those who are more rigid and on the right, they're, they're resistant because now it forces you to have to rethink everything that you've learned. If the gospel is not just an individual, personal message, um, then what have I been taught all this time? What do I, what, what's really true here? If now the gospel means justice, the gospel now involves the community, it involves all this other stuff that's just uncomfortable, it's disorienting. Uh, but, again, for me, I want to have those conversations. I think those conversations are necessary. I think that challenge is necessary, that disorientation is necessary. And I think that's why books like this are definitely important. I want to say for those who are just tuning in, though, either on the radio side or online, you're listening to Conversations Live. We're excited to welcome Phil Allen Jr. to our program today. Phil's the author of the new book, The Prophetic Lens, The Camera and Black Moral Agency from MLK to Darnella Frazier. There are so so many great examples in the book you're able to use uh, of things that have been captured on uh, on film uh, or through using a, a phone even these days. Phil, you mentioned the core a few times about George Floyd. I mean, everyone knows about how horrific that was, um, what was done, but also to be able to see it. And then so many other examples like Eric Garner you mentioned. To go back to movies, though, an interesting one, uh, and I have to say, um, uh, my friends talk about it all the time about pulling my, my black card, I feel, but I have not seen Do the Right Thing. However, okay, I thought okay. you, you, you made me more interested, though, by talking about <laughs> what happened uh, and do the right thing, and the idea of art imitating life or life imitating art. So I'm not going to pretend like I know the, know exactly what happened in the film, but you mentioned that for a reason. So I just want to talk about what that's been like for you to have people like Spike Lee, who you you definitely talk about the respect you have of him in the book. What was it like for you to kind of look at movies like that and then think about what's happening from 2022 up until today? Yeah, um, you know, you said life art and it's imitating life and life imitating art that movie is kind of sandwiched in between it's relevant both both sides of that that quote is relevant so the scene that stands out the most those who've watched the movie is when radio raheem is put in a chokehold at the end of near the end of the film he's placed in a chokehold by this apparently racist um, police officer, and the officer wouldn't let him go. He just kept he kept choking. You could see the the, the, the the almost anger in this man's face as he choked Radio Raheem. Now I want you to imagine Eric Garner's scene. Mm-hmm. That's that's similar to what was what was happening, and and do the right thing. Gotcha. So art life was imitating art when it came to Eric Garner and uh, George Floyd. But that scene was also depicting a real-life situation that happened 
um, a few years earlier in Brooklyn. Um, I forgot the young man's name, but the, 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 that was art imitating life. So it actually happened. And for me, what I had to pause, it, it, it took me back to when I was a kid watching the film, and you get angry, but you're not thinking that deeply about it. And now, years later, I'm, I'm just thinking, we're right back where we started. We're, we're, how, how much progress have we actually made? Yeah. This happened in the 80s. Spike Lee did the film. And then years later, now we're seeing, and, and to be honest with you, it's not a new, it's not, it's not rare. This, this has been happening. It's just that now we have the camera more often than not to capture these, these incidents, these murders, these, these, this brutality. Um, but it made me sit back as I was writing that chapter. It made me just, I had to, I had to pause in that chapter. And, and where are we? Yeah. What, what not not yeah. only is it still happening, but it's still being justified. Right. So I have to ask you this. I, I'm from Mississippi. We're on the radio here in Mississippi now, uh, Phil, mm -hmm. uh, where I've spent most of my life, and I've lived in other places, but Mississippi is where I've spent the majority of my life, and, and glad to be back here. But I have to say, you know, a lot of experiences I have not been mine, uh, even being from here. Like there are certain things I've never experienced, like being – I'm 47 years old, never being pulled over by the cop or fallen in a store, mm -hmm. you know, made the feeling. Now, people have said here, and I hear it a lot, well, it's because people know you. You know, I've, I've been doing the show now for 19 years, so, it, you know, it, there's that, of course, I think. Um, but I, I do I, – I'm an, a person who's optimistic, though, Phil. I, I, I see the mm -hmm. injustices. I hear about what we've gone through here in this state with the water crisis and the – you know, and of course, what what's being said about race being at the heart of that issue, uh, being the way it is. But I, I'm a person who still, you know, looks at the glass as being half full, and think people will continue to stand up, as we've seen in cases like you outlined in the book. I want to ask you this though: What keeps you optimistic, even though you you mm. ask those questions about, you know, where are we and have we made progress? You, you, I don't, I don't get pessimism from the prophetic lens. So I want to ask you, what is mm -hmm. it that helps you to not give in to pessimism? Mm, great question. Um, I, I'm hopeful. I use the word hopeful, and and for two reasons. One, because I'm afraid of who I'll become if I'm not. Mm. If I lose hope, I'm afraid of who I'll become. But I'm hopeful because, especially this generation, what I see in, in those who are doing the work, um, there are a lot of people doing the work. Um, there are a lot of people, black folks, there are a lot of people who are white, Asian, Latino, Latinx, um, across the board, indigenous, they're doing the work. That's what gives me hope. Now, what drives me are my ancestors. How dare I not do the work or be a part of the work when they sacrificed so much for us to be here? And so that kind of keeps me hopeful, even though I, I get discouraged often. Um, I think about Hagar Tumor, a mulatto slave, six times my great-grandmother. That's what drives me. My grandfather who was killed, my great-grandfather who was killed by racism, I can't let their lives, their deaths be in vain. But also my nieces and my godson. I hope that they have different conversations 
when they're my age, when they're in their 20s and 30s. So those are the things that drive me more so than um, being optimistic. I, I don't believe that we'll ever in my lifetime rid ourselves of the problem of structural systemic racism. I think there may be a little less bigotry, preconfigured to perpetuate disparities, inequities in our country along racial lines. And until we take that seriously and the idea of white supremacy being that undergirding force, that ideology, um, we'll still be having these conversations. So last thing, I cannot have in this conversation with you, Phil, and, and it really has been a great one. We're going to let our audience know they can get the book. But the subtitle of the book, I, I mentioned it a couple of times. I want to go back to one point of it because mm-hmm. I have to admit uh, the name did not stick out to me, and, and after I reading the book, of course, then I was like, oh, okay, how can I not remember the name? But the subtitle again of the book is The Cameron Black Moral Agency from MLK to Donella Frazier. And again, for those who, like myself, I have to admit, I could not, initially I did not put the connection together who it was, mm-hmm. but of course she was the young lady who filmed the death of George Floyd that all of us you know, got to see. What was that like for you um, to look at what she's been able to do at her age and to be able to achieve um, by just doing what you would hope all of us would want to do, and that is to make sure that people are seen, um, that the truth is seen? Um, What was that like for you to chronicle her um, as you look at that subtitle from MLK to Darnella Frazier? Yes, thank you. Great question. I I think – we need to stop and, 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 uh, and recognize, acknowledge the resiliency in that moment. She had the presence of mind to record, to stop, to pull her camera out and record. She had the composure to stand there and the resiliency to endure a man losing his life in front of her. Now, she wasn't the only one out there, but she had that camera, and she had that camera in, in Derek Chauvin's face as well, while you hear the, 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 the voice of George Floyd saying, I can't breathe, and calling for his mom, the resiliency that it takes to do that. I don't care who you are. That's hard. That's, that's courage. So I want, I wanted, when, I, when I looked at that, I wanted, I wanted to include her in that title because she continues that legacy of um, the use of the camera, not just to capture an image, but in the midst of traumatizing events. If we go back to the civil, civil rights, if we go back to the, uh, capturing Emmett Till, and she had the courage and she had the, 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 the resiliency, I love using that word, the resiliency to stand, to not leave, to not turn away. And then she became the conduit in which the rest of the world was confronted with and invited into that horrific event. And now we've got to do something with it. I think that is it. I want to actually share. She does not post much these days, I feel, as our audience mm-hmm. may know, uh, online. But one of her last posts was actually made in July after the convictions. And she said, I would be lying to myself if I said I feel happy about today as a 19-year-old. Again, I want to always think, keep in mind, 19 years old at, the, at you know at this mm-hmm. year. I do not feel safe in this country, and it is disturbing. I don't feel safe in this country because of cops like Chauvin. I understand that cops being charged in general is rare. Therefore, I get it if you are satisfied with the final outcome for Chauvin. But I also understand those who are not. If this country really wanted change, start by holding all cops accountable. 
I, mm-hmm. I thought that was such a powerful thing, and I, I wanted to read that because I I think you know as we kind of think about her uh, and what she was able to do and the impact she was able to have, um, it says a lot about what we can do. So I want to ask you this question then, then uh, Phil, because it seems like a lot of this has to do with our youth. How does examples like Darnella Frazier help to inspire you when it comes to the youth and the impact they can have? Oh, I, th- I think what it, it gives them permission to be brave. Um, I think it gives them uh, an example of what it looks like to stand with. Um, it, it wasn't, she wasn't overly emotional. She wasn't um, erratic. I mean, she, she was composed, which was incredible to me because I don't know if I would have been. Yeah. <laughs> In right that situation, um, but I think more importantly, she gives that gen- this generation, this younger generation, permission to be brave. Um, that's not easy when you're young um, to to think that I can, I can do that. I can make a difference in this way. I don't have to run. Um, I can stand, and I think that's the, that's what I walk away with um, in, in terms of how she how does she inspire the next generation. She gives them permission. Yeah. You don't have That's to turn and, and leave. You can you can be present because solidarity so, starts with presence. Change starts with presence. It's a great reminder. Again, everyone, Phil Allen Jr. has been our guest. Great conversation with you, Phil. Again, the book is for Prophetic Lens, The Camera and Black Moral Agency from MLK to Donella Frazier. It's available through our friends at Amazon.com or through your favorite local bookstore. If they don't have it, I know they'd be more than happy to order it for you. It's published by Fortress Press. You also can follow them online. Phil, how can our audience stay connected with you? Um, easy. On Instagram, I spend most of my time on Instagram and Facebook. Instagram, Phil Allen Jr. IG. Uh, Facebook, Phil Allen Jr. Twitter is Phil Allen Jr. And my website is www.philallenjr.com. So everything, Phil Allen Jr. pretty much. Okay. Yeah, you made it easy for us. appreciate that. <laughs> well, Phil, man, congratulations to you again. Really glad we had a chance to speak and looking forward to our next chat together. Uh, Thank you so much, Cyrus. I appreciate this. I enjoyed it. Hey, same here. And we thank your audience for tuning in to another great segment of Conversations Live. Until next time, I'm your host, Cyrus Webb, saying, as always, enjoy your day, enjoy your life, enjoy your world. Thank you all for choosing Conversations Live. Let's go make today amazing. Take care.